Welcome to the latest episode of the Bearing Viewpoints podcast series, sponsored by the Samuel Dewitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. I'm your host, Brandy Jones, and I'm the Director for Programs and Communications at the Samuel Dewitt Proctor Institute, and I'm here with our invited guest, Michael Hicks, Assistant Professor of Education at Centenary College of Louisiana, from substitute teacher to college professor. Welcome, Michael. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Thank you, Brandy. It's an honor to be here. Of course. Uh, so, Michael, you and I had the pleasure of meeting in October um, when the Proctor Institute co-sponsored an event with the Rutgers Graduate School of Education's Alumni Association, which was a conversation about the book Freedom Lessons, written by retired educator Eileen Sanchez. The book discussed the desegregation of schools in Louisiana known as the crossover. You spoke about your choice to introduce the book to your class and discuss what the book meant to you and your students. I know that you continue to do a lot of work related to the crossover and your work continues to progress even after the event. Can you talk a little bit about what your work looks like now and what continues to compel and inspire you to continue the work around the crossover? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was listening to you and when you said the word desegregation, you know, I, you know what I thought, Brandy? I thought that most people don't realize that in some places across this country, schools are more segregated now than they were uh, prior to Brown. And so, I, yeah, so I guess to answer your question, you know, I don't see a, I don't see a disconnect in terms of it being a historical event. You know, I'm in the South, I'm in Shreveport, Louisiana. And, you know, just think of the moment, you know, uh, that we're in right now, you know, I don't have a passport, Brandy, but I've traveled a little bit in this country, and I can tell you that uh, you know things are things are things with racism and 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 how people do race. I believe they're far more visceral in the South, uh, and so in certain respects, I still see schools, you know, as these bastions for opportunity, you know, opportunity for fairness or justice, and so I think Brandy. Uh, you know, what, what brought me to, to even consider, you know, having the audacity, you know, not being a legal scholar, not being someone who studied, you know, desegregation. I'm an educator, you know, I, I teach teachers. You know, I think what, what brought me to that was the fact that, you know, in so many respects, the schools I attended and the schools that my kids attend uh, still lack that inherent, inherent fairness. Uh, you know, those families in, in Topeka, they weren't, you know, trying to get their kids to sit next to white students. You know, we've misconstrued, or not we, but a lot of people, you know, have misconstrued history. You know, their battle, what, what led them to file suit, you know, and, and risk their livelihoods and, and their lives was the fact that they wanted the same resources in their schools, in their kids' schools, that they saw in the schools across town. And so that basic fight or that basic argument for just equal resources, you know, for all kids. It continues today. And not just in the South. It continues in California. It continues in New Jersey. Uh, it continues throughout this country. So, you know, I don't see it as, you know, something I picked up from the past. You know, it is uh, it is part of my of my being now. It's part of my learning and it's part of how I, you know, understand education as I try to teach teachers. So, uh, 
I don't know if I'm answering the question, but I, you know, Brandy, I, it, it, desegregation stuck out and then my, my work around the crossover. And so I think I've explained desegregation. I, I'll explain my work around the crossover. It has become a part of me now, you know, not just the stories of the, uh, of the, of the students, you know, the, the, the typical narrative of the students who were, who were, you know, so mistreated in ways that we can't comprehend now, uh, but all those stories, those stories of black excellence that that you don't hear about that emerged from the crossovers uh, from the crossover. I mean, there were black teachers who, you know, ha who, who had taught in black schools all their career uh, and who had to go teach in an unwelcoming environment, you know, with colleagues who didn't think that they knew enough or they their expertise was on their level. And just imagine, you know, imagine that, Brandy, going to work every day, having to prove not just to yourself and to your God or whatever spiritual energy motivate you, but to the people who you are supposed to be equal to, that you deserve that job, you deserve to be in that role. Uh, and so, it, I, you know, the crossover is me, you know, and uh, it, the, it, as long as I live, I'll continue uh, to learn and understand uh, and use it, you know, uh, uh, in all of my work. I'll use it in my parenting. I'll use it in my friendship, uh, my friendships. But those um, those stories are just so um, are so alive that they become part of me. Yeah, wow. I think that's really important to share. Um, and that actually brings me to my next question. So I wanna talk a little bit about your experience as an educator, um, not only just as an educator kind of teaching other teachers, but also your experience fighting for justice, fighting for equal opportunities and resources for, for all students. Um, so I really wanna to get to know a little bit more about your career and kind of what led you to the work that you're doing now. So I know that throughout your career, you've worked uh, on a number of different things related to race and identity at a variety of different institutions across, you know, across the state of Louisiana, um, but also across the nation. So I know that you've worked within the Louisiana public school system in Caddo Parish, um, as well as working at two HBCUs, Jarvis Christian College and Southern University, and you're now teaching at a predominantly white institution, uh, Centenary College of Louisiana. So can you tell us a little bit about what it means to be a diversity leader, right? So somebody who who's fighting for this kind of resources and fighting for this justice in so many different and diverse educational settings with the various different diverse groups, including students, staff, and even parents. Can you just share a little bit about your experience and kind of what your journey was um, through these different kind of institutions? Yeah, you know, again, Brandy, I, look, I love talking to you. We may have to do a volume two, like the blueprint. Uh, you know, it's, it's a trip, but, you know, you said diversity leader. And I was thinking, you know, whenever I, uh, I'm training, uh, I'm outside of a, a typical academic uh, setting and, I, and, I, and I'm conducting training, whether it's to uh, law enforcement professionals or whether it's to counseling professionals or, uh, or just to anybody, you know, they introduced me as a diversity uh, specialist. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a member of the Diversity Scholars Network through the University of Michigan. And, I, I have a unique understanding, I believe, of diversity. But, you know, when you said that, what I initially thought, Brandy, was, you know what? I've really been a fairness leader. You know, I've just been a, I've just been a fairness leader. Now, that has meant different things. You know, when I first started in uh, uh, in, in Caddo schools, you know, you kind of had to whisper, you know, the, the phrase black boys. You know, and that, that may sound shocking to you, you know what I mean? But I, I guess I was just young and, you know, I didn't kind of, I guess I didn't care, you know, and I was raised by educators who 
who instilled a certain boldness in me. And so, you know, I just began asking questions about the experiences of black boys in public schools. You know, when I started working first as a long-term sub, ultimately as a middle school counselor, you know, um, I realized that there were some things that that I had been shielded from. You know, my father, you know, did not have a relationship with his father, but I did. I saw my father every day. He was a professor, uh, ultimately a college president. He ended up becoming president of his alma mater, Gramlin State University. So I don't know what it's like to not have a father. Uh, and so I brought middle class values into the public school system. But when I was met, you know, with that culture shock of class values uh, that exist, uh, in addition to ra racial uh, values or exchange of di just different people, you know, what I had to do was I had to learn. And so I learned from my students. I learned from black boys that they weren't seen in their authentic self. You know, there, there's a cool pose part of adolescence that, you know, black boys and indeed all boys enter, you know, and I noticed uh, firsthand through their words and through their actions that just proceeding along a normal adolescent trajectory of human growth was putting them in conflict uh, with these values, these middle class values that existed uh, in schools. And so I began to ask the questions, you know, how are we serving black boys? I begin to ask those questions uh, in ways that, you know, almost stagnated my my career in the public school system. Um, but it also attracted folk to me who pushed me and who told me, yes, you need to continue asking these questions. You know, one of the first things I did when I had a, a just a, I call him a co-conspirator principal, Dr. Perry Daniel. The first thing, or rather the, the most important thing I ever did in public schools was I established a manhood mixer in the neighborhood of the school I worked. Uh, the school's Bethune Middle Academy, uh, right in the heart of Moortown in Shreveport, uh, an all-black historic neighborhood. Um, and I hope some listeners Google Moortown, Shreveport, Louisiana, and find out the story about John Moore. But nevertheless, but just by sending a clarion call to the neighborhood, hey, we're going to have a manhood mixer. I don't care if you're a college professor or if you're a security guard, if you're a hustler, you need to come and, and we're going to have some intergenerational uh, relationships. We're going to get young boys to, to talk to older black men and learn from them. I didn't know what would happen. You know, ended up having restaurateurs, having uh, DJs. I had all kind of firemen come and they sat at tables, one black man to five boys and just went through five questions. It was it was magical almost, you know, just to see these, you know, the type of just I don't know. I can't even even now as I'm trying to remember it, Brandy, I'm getting excited because the best part of those mixers would be when those boys would come up and summarize to their peers and to the other men in that room uh, what the uh, what exactly their group had discussed or, or what resolutions they had come up to uh, come up with. And so that taught me a lesson. You know, that if you just can create these situations where black boys can be heard and seen as their true, authentic selves, you know, good things can happen. And so, Brandy, I kind of took that, took that seed of, man, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what is inside of me. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I was an adult when I went back to graduate school. I had a comfortable public school position, had no, no need to, to, to reinvent you know, myself and, you know, in, in, in intergraduate school, you know, as an adult. Uh, but again, I was pushed not only by, you know, 
people around me, but I was pushed by that initial germ that was given to me when I was forming my worldview. Uh, I'm a proud Morehouse man. Uh, and, you know, uh, since 58, there's a charge given to the graduates that we will not only know and understand the the ills that affect our community, but that we will be those souls who will do something about it. And so that was the impetus for, for really all the work I've done. So everything I've learned professionally, I learned at a middle school in one of the best neighborhoods with just some of the best, most genuine people um, uh, right here in Shreveport. Now, I took that. Um, after graduate school, uh, I was um, honored to, to be selected uh, to join the faculty at Jarvis Christian College, a small HBCU in, uh, in Hawkins, Texas. Uh, in there, I was able to establish myself not only as, a, as, a, as an instructor, but I was given an opportunity uh, to lead uh, an initiative uh, involving male students. And so I took those lessons from the public school, just that, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fierce and bold, you know, in my advocacy of black boys. And I took that uh, to, to, to black men, young black men who were getting their worldviews uh, established, you know, which is what college provides us. And so I grew a lot at Jarvis. It, it, it made me stronger. I found that that same nurturing and supportive environment that my professors uh, wrapped me in at Morehouse uh, I was able to do that same thing at Jarvis, and I didn't know it would feed me uh, and prepare me to, to really be where I am now. Now, now after Jarvis, I, I went to Southern University in Shreveport, my hometown. You know, uh, now here's, a, here's an institution my father has um, uh, been an administrator uh, at. He, he's taught at. I mean, he, you know, uh, it's just uh, it, it means so much to this community. And there I was given an opportunity to not only instruct in education, but to lead um, programs. And one specific program um, was a federal grant program aimed at providing knowledge uh, to young black non-college and college aged uh, men and women about the, the truth and realities about drug and, and alcoholism and, and about HIV and not just, you know, you know, a condom distribution type thing. But I mean, you know, it put me in settings where I could give real talk. I'm, I'm not their parent. I'm not their homeboy, but I can give them real information, you know, about how to protect themselves and, and how to protect the generation, if you will. And so um, those experiences leading a model program uh, around HIV and, and drug and alcohol awareness, I mean, um, only through that. And not without it would I be able to be at what some consider to be the Harvard of the South, Centenary College of Louisiana, and to be bold and confident in my teaching. Uh, and so, of course, you know, things have changed. I'm not, you know, I'm not dealing with eighth graders anymore, you know, and then I'm not on the confines of an HBCU, but now at a PWI, you know, where I'm the only African-American male in a tenure track position. You know, and I don't say that to distinguish myself. I say that for context. You know, we're in the we're in the this is a we're in the visceral South, as I said earlier. Um, you know, only through those experiences, Brandy, do I think I'm uh, I've been prepared to to enter the classroom with mostly white students and have the knowledge, you know, to understand that you know some of these students, you know, they may need these teachings more than even what I was able to provide to my students at Southern Shreveport. Uh, or at Jarvis. Uh, and so, you know, 
you forced me to kind of put it in the timeline, I guess. And I don't, uh, I, I guess I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time doing that, Brandy, but I think, um, I think, you know, I chose to, to come here. I wasn't run out of Southern. I love the people there. Matter of fact, I'm going to the, my old divisions party in a couple of Christmas holiday party in a couple of weeks, you know, uh, but I accepted this challenge, you know, at this, uh, predominantly white institution because of the opportunity and also the obligation, you know, to take what I've learned through the years and to and to present these teachings uh, to an even more diverse group of folk who may need it more, who may need it more, Brandy. Wow. The more that you do this work, you realize that these this work has such a different impact on different population. And it seems like you you've had that experience. So I, I just wanted to first start with saying that I, I love all the work that you've done. Um, I even love the idea of like being a fairness leader. I've never heard of that before. Like it makes so much sense, right? Um, the idea of serving particular communities, particularly related to black students and black men, of creating spaces for intergenerational exchanges where folks can be their authentic selves. Um, you and your work is so important. And I think that your advocacy and agency is exactly what you described earlier, which is something that is simply magical, right? Um, so thank you for creating these spaces. And I imagine that the idea of justice and leading in a bold and confident way and that framing around authenticity follows you in your profession and in your career. In fact, I know that as a professor um, of education at Centenary College of Louisiana, that you've been quite innovative in revamping the college's education program. More specifically, I know that you've recently developed a planning tool for classroom educators called the Teach, Speak, Create Model for Educators. Can you tell us a little bit about that and briefly about the model and what it means for educators in the future of teacher education? Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned that to you uh, maybe last time we talked, Brandy, and I, you know, I, I'm just very excited about it. And I think, you know, I'll use this as an example of you know, there's no value in keeping ideas to yourself. I have a cousin who is a pastor in Harlem, New York, uh, Reverend Brian Scott, and he told me this directly. You know, I told him, look, man, you know, ever since I was maybe, you know, right in my right in my early 20s, you know, these three words have just kind of resonated around me. Teach, speak, create. And, you know, at, at different times in my life, I've, I've played with, you know, there was one time when, you know, I thought that that it was a that, that that this model, if you will, and I call it model loosely, you know, was uh, was instructive to to all people. Uh, meaning, I interpreted teach as you know who who is learning from me, my example and my actions. That's what I I had to define. You know, who am I teaching? And then speak. You know, how do I communicate what I'm most passionate about? You know, some people use a trumpet to communicate. Some people use a drum set. Some people use a canvas and a paintbrush. Some people use a microphone. Uh, you know, but 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 how do I how do I communicate that? Now I wanted to fine tune that and then create. You know, what is truly artistic or unique about my life and how I live it. And so, in my early twenties, you know, I think I, I kind of used it as a model to inspire myself to give clarity to my ideas. And, you know, I, I shared it with friends. They, you know, it resonated with them, you know, and then as I have progressed in my education and in my learning, you know, I, I've seen it as, as something much different, you know? And so there was a point, Brandy, when in my coaching of teacher candidates, you know, I would just ask them, who, who do you teach? 
I would ask them that same question. Dr. Hicks, I'm a, you know, I'm a sixth grade social studies teacher, but, no, but who do you teach? You know, describe that to me. You know, how do you speak? You know, how do you communicate? You know, what's your, what, what, what vehicles do you choose to, to transfer your ideas or your messages? And then what do you create? You know, so just asking three simple questions as a, as a coach uh, to teachers proved um, uh, cathartic in a lot of ways. Uh, and so here's now how that thing has, uh, has evolved. Brandy, I've given it to a few graduate students who are, who are teaching in classrooms and they're playing with it. And we're coalescing in the spring of 21 to kind of formalize some, uh, uh, some, some research we'd like to conduct. But, you know, teaching is filled with frameworks and models and, and we don't need any more uh, of that. You know, I go back to my dissertation uh, studies when I had to look at you know, uh, some of the best classrooms, you know, in the state of Louisiana, you know, and, you know, as a, as a graduate student, here's what I, here's what I gathered. Whenever I would see an effective teacher, you know, I don't care what subject matter, I don't care what, uh, what curriculum they were using, what framework they were teaching from, those words that originated in my early 20s would always be there. Man, these teachers teach, speak, create. Okay. And so teach. Teaching is not talking, right? Effective teachers, they they are they are one with those strategies. You know, some of those strategies are collaborative, some are discussion-based, but but there are some definite strategies. They have they have taken the structure of knowledge, you know, and they're they're introducing concepts and using facts to uphold those concepts. So there was always a strategy that was teaching, not just talking. You know, a lot of people think charismatic performance management is a is the crux of teaching. It is not. You know, the, these effective teachers that I was studying, they were they were following an internal strategy, if you will. And then and then speak. Again, it could it could even be college, college to kindergarten, but an effective lesson speak was evident. Meaning good teachers or effective teachers had a way of uh, of not just speaking authentically from themselves, uh, from their own perspective, but getting their students to do that as well. Now, that 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 requires, you know, uh, you know, everything in my philosophy, which is a kind of a person centered approach to teaching. Uh, you know, you got to know your students to know their voice, to know how they communicate. You know, even in a in a in a class of graduate students, Brandy, I have students who will speak differently. I have students who will speak differently and I give credence to their voice. You know, I let them know, you know, in, in that, you know, through extending myself, I allow them to, ex to extend themselves. And so, I, you know, just like those good teachers that I studied, there's always an element of speak. You know, me, you know, I'm in my 40s. So I, you know, I, 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 I believe that I'm an original uh, curator of, of pure hip hop before mumble rap and everything infiltrated, you know, so I throw references back to, you know, I might mention a cool rock ski lyric, you know what I'm saying? But if you're not familiar with Def Jam or the Fat Boys, you could be totally thrown off. So once my students get to understand how I speak and that, yeah, it comes out sometimes as a corny middle schooler, you know, <laughs> who, is, who is really the essence of who I am, you know, they can, um, uh, the, the lesson becomes better. Okay. And then create. You know, some some teachers create great discussions. Some teachers in some lessons create great graphic representations of what they're trying to teach. But as, as someone who, you know, 
who has had to learn and who has had to teach, you know, in task standards, uh, framework for teaching standards, just, you know, tap standards, if you will. You know, I, just all effective lessons always go back to teach, speak, create. And so I have a, um, as I said, I have some uh, some graduate students who are, you know, kind of formalizing this. I've just, you know, and look, I haven't written a manual for this. I don't think we need any more frameworks. You know, I have a graphic representation, which is three uh, hexagrams that are kind of conjoined together. I know this isn't a, this is an audio interview, but if you could see it, and I may send it to you, Brandon, because I want you to wrap your mind around this. But, but if you see how teach, speak, and create uh, come together uh, just graphically on a paper, it, it, it helps every lesson. And so I have that that graphical representation, those three hexagons. I have it uh, I have it sewn into my clothes. Right now I got on a champion sweatshirt and I'm rocking it. On the front of it is that symbol. Uh, there's stickers across my uh uh, across my office. I, I'll go on campus and see water bottles or backpacks with it on there. And it just helps me. I don't do it for branding. I do it because if I step into a a, a library system, right, and I'm going to teach about anti-racism, well, I always want to be reminded that, Mike, I, I've got to teach. Okay. I've got to have some strategy. I can't just get up there and talk. You know what I mean? I, you know, and I, you know, I could, I could do that. You know, I've read the current books. You know what I mean? I was just, listen, I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to put this book down, but, but Ibram, Dr. Kendi's uh, work, it, 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 it flows. And if I don't, if I don't watch myself, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving people his book for free. So I have to teach and that symbol remind me, I look on my sleeve. Oh, okay. What strategies am I using? And so when I speak, you know, I have to I have to allow opportunities, even in trainings for my students to give voice during that lesson and then create. I always want to make something uh, or create something or get my students to create something. So it's just a model. Uh, and I use that word loosely because I don't believe in models or frameworks uh, uh, or rather I don't I, I don't believe in the quick acquisition of them. You know, and so this won't be something that you'll read about in an empirical journal that, you know, uh, I'm, uh, you know, trying to get others to, to grab onto. I think each of us should have some sort of, you know, whether it be, you know, teach, speak, create or, you know, something that draws you closer to the essence of being who you are. And of course, me, you know, uh, being caught up in the day to day business of qualifying and in some respects, helping to disqualify folk from the teaching profession, I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a representation of, of who I am. So uh, I'm glad that you asked me about it. And I promise you, you know, I'm going to send you this graphic and I'm going to ask you about it. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to say, Brandy, who, well, Brandy, let me ask you right now. Okay. Now we're, now we're both educated. Let me ask you who, who's learning sure. from your example or your actions. Okay. And that's not rhetorical. Tell me. I mean, I'm hoping that it's young people, right? I mean, I'm hoping that it's it's folks who want to do similar work, who want to do right, right, things. right, right. Let's not hope. Let's not hope, Brandy. It is young folk. It is okay. Let's own that, Brandy. So you you are teaching through your example, young folk. Now, let me ask you this, Brandy: How do you communicate? You know, uh, your values or or what's most important in your work. How do you how do you communicate that? And what what vehicles do you use? I mean, I think for me, it's really about, so I, I'm in a stage where I'm, I'm constantly reevaluating those values, right? Okay. So making actually have kind of some set values and then 
from there, it's really just leading by example, right? Just being those values, embodying those values. So I think that that's what it's always been for me. It's always making sure that I'm making choices that align with those values so that others can kind of see how the two could work together. That's powerful, Brandy. Well, well, let me ask you this. Lastly, you know, tell me about what is truly artistic and unique about your life and how you're living it as an educator. Wow, that's a that's a question. <laughs> um, I don't. I I honestly don't know. I mean, I think that if you think about art as being something that is found everywhere, then there there's there's kind of an artistic way of life in everything that I do, right? Absolutely. And all the problems that I have, and all the the habits that I've made, and all of the 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 ways in which I approach things. So I think in that way, just really acknowledging the fact that art is everywhere, and that in many ways my actions are artistic in that in that right if that answers your question that does and because you're not a student in my class i'm not gonna poke you anymore on that brand but th this is this is that you know we are teaching speaking and creating uh and so even in this conversation and, and you're exactly right but but just imagine how many teacher candidates don't stop and and just give some thought to how art it interacts in their life you know right. i see some things just you know having not met you as a professor, but more as a colleague, Brandy, I see artistic <laughs> exhibits, you know, just in my brief time knowing you as an educator. I've seen you produce some things that, that you know, that are living examples and that are teaching other, that, that coincide with your teach and that also intersect with your speak. Look, Brandy, look, am I going to have to get a fellowship or something or come teach at Rutgers for a semester? Uh, because you and I got some other work to do, you lady. <laughs> I am. Listen, I need to learn from you. I'm. I'm, I'm willing to learn everything. <laughs> Goodness, <laughs> that was fun, Brandy. I, what's next? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a good jumping point, right? Like, I think, okay. I think that it's fascinating the way in which your your graphic, you know, kind of embodies all these wonderful things about like really meeting people where they are, right? But also encouraging others to live in their truth. And I know that that's a little cliche. Now, no, no, it's, say not. It it's not. I don't think it is, but I know that other people might see it as that. Um, but it's true, right? It seems like all of you were kind of aligned with this this idea of being one's authentic self and really encouraging people to be their authentic self. Um, so, really, I, I guess I want to learn learn a little bit about you um, and kind of the values that you have, right? So, I know that you you have this model, you've developed this model, and you also do a lot of work related to race and identity. Yes. So. I know that you also taught a class called Doing Race, which is the same course where you had the opportunity to connect with Eileen, the author of Freedom Lessons. Um, so I love to hear you talk briefly about the impact of this course, not only on the students, but on you as an educator. Um, and I suppose what I'm asking is to talk a little bit about how this class aligns with your own values as an educator, your personal mission, your advocacy for increased equity and justice. Yeah, well, I mean, just my right off the bat answer to that was, uh, um, you know, I could I connected with Eileen in this coursework because her her book presented uh, a counter narrative to how initially I thought I was going to have to teach uh, the crossover. Um, you know, we wanted to focus on um, on getting undergraduates to understand the social construct of race to get a little history involved to bring things to their knowledge that they just, you know, had not had not been exposed to. 
But I, I need it. You know, again, each lesson that I think is effective, it has some sort of teach, speak, create aspect. And so I needed some artistic work, you know, something outside of, uh, of the text and the, and the heavy reading that I was going to require these students to kind of, you know, mull around their heads and try to come up with a with an explanation of, of why we, you know, still engage in some of the crazy thoughts that we have, you know, and Eileen's book provided that. Here is the story of a young white teacher who was put in a position to have to fail an entire class of black students. And not only that, you know, and I think Eileen, you know, who is my friend, you know, I think she'd, I think she'd understand, or rather I think she did, she does understand that when people get that story or when they read that book, you know, one of their first questions is going to be like, you know, you know, why did you do that? Why didn't you just quit? Why didn't you just throw up your hands and say, you know, hell no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to ruin the trajectories of these black kids. Not going to do it. You know, and I, I think that, you know, by her being bold enough to tell that story, you know, it forces us to look at ourselves, you know, it forced my students, it forced me, you know, in what ways are we just kind of going along with it, not saying nothing and contributing, you know, to these, uh, to these inherently unfair systems. I think I, I said to you before, you know, I got this analogy somewhere, but you know, spiders make spider webs. And so individuals make systems. And so when we make individual choices, whether to act or to not act, we are creating that system. It's not some far off, you know, abstract construct. It, it is what we are doing. It is us. And so Eileen taught us that, you know, but now the fact that she was willing to do that, you know, here's a lady who, you know, an esteemed graduate of the Graduate School of Education at Rutgers, had a great career, you know, had no need to, to kind of go down this path of learning at this stage in her life, you know, but she was willing to tell that story. And so, you know, she and I have connected not just for a season, uh, Brandy, but for life, you know, and I'd like to talk about how bold and how brave Eileen was. Imagine all the stories that exist. Think about the time we're in now. You know, some people are suppressing those stories all the way down, you know, and just, you know, living in a, you know, in a total uh, make-believe world. But she resisted that. You know, she said, listen, there's some things that happened in this past, in this career of mine, and everybody else might see a beautiful, you know, a beautiful side of it. But if I really dig, dig down and do the research uh, and try to tell these stories, some people will be offended. Some people will say, this isn't your story to tell, Eileen. You were a white teacher in Shreveport. Let the, let the black students all across the country who were the who, who had who had integration forced on them? Let them tell that story. You know, I I don't know if I would have risen beyond that type of internal pushback, but she did, Brandy. And because she wrote that book, I was able to teach it. I built a bridge from from Rutgers to Centenary, and I don't know um I don't know how it will um how it will expand. You know, that same that same seed of of, of boldness that I think I've spoken about from, from your very first question. She has it, you know, in game recognized. And so, uh, you know, that, that's why we connected. And I think that's what it's done for me um, as an educator. And it's done for my, you know, that's what, that's what Eileen has done for my personal mission, just as a man, you know, she's, she's given me another example, you know? So when I look back in my career and I'm, I've made mistakes, you know, I haven't always been on the right side of these things. I've been well-intentioned, you know, 
but but sometimes I've 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 said or done some things that 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 now you know I have an opportunity to go back and correct. And so I think she's uh she's given me that example. She she means a lot to me. Um I know we connected professionally, but you know, um just getting to know her, her husband Manny came and you know, I kind of watched them go through this journey. Uh we set up a, a public forum where she presented her book and there were people in that room who were, you know, from all different crossroads and from all different experiences of the crossover, you know, and just to watch her, you know, put her, 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 her ideas out there, you know, that this idea that someone can learn from this. And yeah, you know what, I may even take a little, a little pushback, but, 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 but the lessons, you know, the lessons that I can teach, you know, it's something for me to say that, you know, um, prejudice, uh, racism is a choice. It's something for me to say in my positionality as a black man. I experience it. It's a different thing for Eileen to say it. Now, you put us both together in the same learning environment, the same lesson. I think that's powerful. And so there, there are more than, you know, there are plenty Michael Hickses. There are plenty Eileen's out there. You know, we just, you know, happen to connect and, um, you know, and I'm so grateful. And so listen, had we not connected and created Brandy, I don't think you and I would be talking right now. I mean, yeah. So I mean, that just that that germ or that seed of just yeah. you know wanting to man, you know, make this an effective lesson. I mean, you know, it, it's still bearing fruit. It's awesome, and that actually that actually brings me to my last question for you, which is: so you talk a little bit about this this idea of of boldness, right? And this idea of living confidently, and like I said, this idea of authenticity. So I really want to know, like, from your own personal experience and also your personal perspective. Where does this come from and how do you ensure that you're, you know, holding yourself accountable and being this person in, you know, various educational environments that you're in, but also just as a leader, right? How do you ensure that you are being well-intentioned, that you're leading in a bold way, that you're leading in a way that is truly your authentic self? Prayer. Yeah, I'm just going to be honest with you. You know, I see, you know, and <laughs> I mean, if you had asked me that, you know, yesterday, maybe it was a different uh, answer. But, you know, I think just connecting uh, with who I am, you know, in this world and uh, and through my um, my godly connect, my connection to God through my faith. I think that has helped me, you know, walk in this boldness. And of course, age has contributed. You know, I believe I believe to it as well. But you know, Ivory Tolson, I was listening to a, a Proctor podcast and he was featured. His type of boldness, you know, teaches, you know, there's a, I call him my research mentor and friend, uh, Rich Milner, you know, at Vanderbilt, who is an unapologetic education <laughs> researcher. You know, he has a boldness. It could be listening to Jesse Jackson, you know, in the, in the eighties, or it could be, you know, watching the cool confidence of Barack Obama or just seeing that, you know, uh, or, or, or in this moment, you know, I'm getting a lot of boldness from, uh, Kamala, you know, uh, vice president elect Kamala Harris has a boldness that is infecting folk. Have you seen her Brandy? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, yeah. So, so really just, you know, being thankful, being spiritual, and I think just, you know, opening my eyes. But I think um, boldness is, is 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 all around us. You know, there was a, a chance this semester, a student, I can't remember what setting, whether we were, uh, I had office hours or whether this, whether this was after class, but I was having a conversation with her. And I remembered something told me, Mike, introduce this student to Audre Lorde. 
And so um, sometimes when I buy books from Amazon, I'll buy four or five, you know. And so this was one of the books that I had bought, little small, little penguin copy, you know, uh, the, probably the, the master's tools will never be used to dismantle the master's house or, you know, the, forgive me, feminist scholars, if I've mangled that title. But nevertheless, I gave her that book. And so here I am, I'm the teacher, I'm the professor, I'm, I'm, I'm introducing you to, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I'm from that era when, you know, uh, you know, Francis Chris Welsing, you know, when you got hit to her, it was like your life changed. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to play that, that role in her life, you know, but what has happened, Audre Lorde's boldness has been creeping in me all semester. So, you know, everywhere I turn, I, I'll see something that'll make me think of something I read from her and I'll go dig a little deeper. And so she inspired a boldness just, you know, um, just through interacting uh, through a through a book she wrote and me giving it to a student. Um, so for, for 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 black men and women, you know, boldness is all around us, you know, for our white colleagues and allies and, and co-conspirators. You know, boldness is all around us. I hope there are white educators who who read Eileen's book and say, you know what? I'm going to tell the story of my experience in the crossover because, you know, I was a white assistant principal and I decided that I was going to start a, a, a prayer every morning with my white colleagues and my black colleagues. And that changed the, the temperature of the crossover at my school. See, there are folks that, that who did that, uh, Brandy. You know, I hope that they're that they're, you know, white coaches. You know, because it's a trip now because the coaches and, and staff folk, they weren't like us middle class teachers. You know, they had to establish some some rapport real quick. You know, they were leading teams and, they, you know, they just they had to get to know each other. And so I hope there's some white coaches who will say, you know what, I'm going to talk now about the bold things I did because I wasn't an expert on race. But when I had to get, uh, uh, when I was told I would I would have a, a, a influx of black students, an influx of, of, of black uh, coaching on my staff, here's how I did. And yeah, some of that stuff was great and was fair, but some of it wasn't. And I'm willing to tell that story. You know, I hope that that boldness um, stays in me, but I know, you know, I'm old enough to know I, I will never have to look you know, um, that far, whether I'm, you know, I can, I can go from the Bible or, you know, uh, an Audrey Lord book and I can find boldness all around. That was, wow. That was incredible. That was a perfect answer to the question. Actually the perfect way to end this interview. Do we have to end Brandy? We do. We do. Unfortunately, we're coming to an end. It's truly been a pleasure. I mean, I, I want to first thank you for forcing me to not only just think about the ways in which I, you know, approach boldness and also authenticity, but also forced me to examine myself. Um, I think that you've certainly made me think about the seed of boldness that I'm planting as a professional, as an educator, as a Black woman. And I'm thankful for this exchange and this opportunity to talk with you because it's truly been a pleasure. Um, so thank you so much, Michael, again, for your time, for your wisdom, for your voice, for your story. And I just really wanted to take the time to thank you because I think that this interview was so important for not only me, but also the listeners as well. So as we end, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Um, no, uh, Brandy, I, I, I don't think I can add or take away anything except teachspeakcreate.com will be open and it'll it'll be a, a, a web conduit of, you know, kind of the questions that I pose to you. Uh, and so I'm mentioning that because, you know, I'm not just a, a purveyor of, you know, instruction. You know, I have to get that out. I've kept it 
to myself far too long. I've just I've only shared it with my students or my training attendees. Uh, but but you're allowing me. You're helping me to create, you know, something that I hope uh, will inspire and teach uh, uh, and speak life into and, and bring forth creations for a long time. Again, Michael, uh, again, really, it's truly been a pleasure. Um, and we'll definitely share all the resources that you've talked about um, with our audience, because I think it's super important for them to kind of, you know, see something um, based on what you were saying and also connect the pieces together. So thank you again. Um, and I and I just want to thank everyone for listening to the our latest episode of the Varying Viewpoints podcast series. Absolutely. Been an honor. <laughs>